Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome back to Season 8. We are coming towards the end of Season 8, which is sad, but it also means that we get to do one of our favourite podcasts, which is the Q&A podcast. Mm. So Matt is here with me. Say hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. <laughs> and I'm ready. <clears throat> yes, we are ready to kick in. We have some amazing questions that have been sent in, so thank you very much. Yes, it's the time of the season where we turn it over to you. Because sometimes we don't want to have to think for ourselves. We want you to do the thinking for us <laughs> and tell us what you want us to talk about. And it is my favorite part for sure, because you can sometimes get some pretty some pretty good curveballs. Yeah. Some pretty good curly ones. You also find out as well, like what what the people are thinking. Yeah. What part of your journey you're on or um what you're struggling with at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I find it helpful. Mm. So I reckon as per our normal Q&A standard, I will read, you will answer, <laughs> I will then give the right answer. You will answer, yes. And then we'll go from there. Yes. Sound right. good? One of us will answer, both of us will probably answer. Let's get started. All right. Okay. First question from Ali. Is weight gain in perimenopause real? And what advice do you have for women at that point in their lives when we're so busy with kids, careers, caring for elderly parents and trying to keep weight down? Go. Oh. <laughs> when you just go, go. Answer, bro. Um, well, I mean, it's a great question. This, is it? Is it real? It can be real. Sure as hell can be. Is peri- is weight gain in perimenopause real? Well, fucking know if it can be. It can be, yeah. So that's a pretty easy question to answer. Yep. Um, the real part of this question is the second part. Yeah. What advice do you have for women at that point in their lives and we're so busy with kids, careers, caring for elderly parents and trying to keep weight down? Well, what are your non-negotiables? Obviously, those things are but to you. Mm. To me, to me the, the blunt yet true answer to this is if it's important to you, you've got to make the time. Yeah. And that doesn't matter what you do. It, once you become an adult, you're busy in life. Regardless of what you're doing, you're fucking busy. Yeah, time management becomes really important. Time management and, and being honest about <laughs> non-negotiables. Are you on your list of non-negotiables? Yeah. So, but again, to me, a, a simple answer. If it's important to you, you'll find a way. Mm. Um. Andy speaks about this a lot on her pod- podcast as well. What podcast? The MILF podcast. Indeed. <laughs> um, a, a lot about from a mother's perspective in terms of time blocking and time management, things like that, a busy working mum. So mm. that might be a really good podcast episode to check out. Or just um, the podcast in general. The podcast but, in general. But, but from, from, a, from a big picture perspective, this to me just does come down to non-negotiables. And indeed, time management and planning. And I'll say, I'll say it and I'll say it again. If it's important, you make it happen. 
because clearly kids are non-negotiables, careers are non-negotiables, family and parents are non-negotiables. Are you on that list as well? Mm. You know, so I, like I know for me, I've got non-negotiables in my life that revolve around uh, family, work commitments, etc. Is Matt on the list of Matt's non-negotiables? Fuck yes, he is. Mm. And no matter how busy I get, I'm not putting myself second. So the advice I've got is make it happen. It's important to you, make it happen. Yes. Because no one else will do it for you. Nope. Anything you'd like to add? No, I think that that covers it. All right, cool. Next one. Yes. Holly asks, is it safe to work out way past your max heart rate to make sure you are working intense enough? So standard max heart rate calculation for our line of work is the number 220 minus your age. Is it safe to work out way past your maximum heart rate? Well, I wouldn't be trying to do it. But then again, to be fair, not since I first did my PT qualifications in 2010 have I actually measured my heart rate during workouts. Why? I don't need to. Mm. If it's fucking hard, I know it's fucking hard. If you're concerned about heart rate, like, yeah, monitor it. But... To make sure you're working intense enough, you know your own body. You know when you're knackered. Yeah. Yeah. You know when you've got more in the tank. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, that's the uh, RPE scale. So RPE scale, I'm sorry. So the perceived rate of exertion. Mm. I personally prefer to use the RPE scale and, and work out your perceived rate of exertion versus crunching the numbers and measuring heart rates. So RPE scale, a real easy way to look at that, it's a scale of 1 to 10. Or some people might have it as 0 to 10. So with 0 or 1 being, I'm barely moving. Like right now, mm. sitting down, talking with you, Courtney, my perceived rate of exertion is somewhere between 0 and 1. <laughs> yes. Because the only thing I'm doing is moving my fucking mouth. You know, where a 10 would be, I cannot give any more than this yep. to get like a maximum lift in the gym on a particular weight exercise or in a cardio session where like I can't you're sucking in breath I, and I can't run any faster no. I can't jump any higher I can't give more than what I'm giving energies yep and then out. and then there's the levels in between that and another good way to have with your perceived rate of exertion is can you talk while you're doing it if you can talk while you're doing it it's probably going to be pretty low if it's really that's actually a simple rule I've had with clients in the past in the gym, you know, how hard is it if you're having a fucking conversation while you're doing it? Mm. Or you're on your phone. Yeah. The people you see at the gym where they're doing a set on a given exercise while they're talking on the phone, like, mate, that's not hard. No. When it's hard, you ain't having a conversation. You ain't no. saying shit. No. So simple answer to the question, is it safe to work out way past your maximum heart rate? I I wouldn't recommend it. But then again, again, you don't need to. No. You know your body. You know when it's hard. Yeah. Uh, thoughts? I, I completely agree. I don't have. I think you nailed that one. I don't really have anything else to add on there's that. There's no point to say the same thing, is no. there? All right. Next one. Bit of a long one, but a good one, of course. We're going to take good ones. Laura asks, how common is it that people have to find new trainers? I just found out my trainer is stepping back from training. Another one bites the dust. 
And now I have to find yet another trainer. This will be the third one since March 2021. The first trainer I had quit in December 2021. Yet again, another one bites the dust. And I've been working with my current trainer since January. It really sucks because it's just, it's like just when I've built good momentum and rapport with my, with my trainer and it's on a nice smooth track, it gets derailed and I have to start over again with someone new. Then what happens if I don't particularly like a new trainer? I don't think my gym has a lot of options right now. Would I have to start again from scratch and try to find a new trainer at a different gym? Options are kind of limited in my town. First part, Courtney, how common is it that people have to find new trainers? Please give us the statistics, please. Unfortunately, it is What are the peer-reviewed, peer-reviewed research statistics on people finding new trainers? What are the numbers here? I don't have those in front of me, but it's high. There's no peer-reviewed studies. What's it, I need to know what the Lancet reported on this. <laughs> you read this sort of stuff, hit me. No, but it is. Unfortunately, it is high. Unfortunately, the training industry is an industry that has a lot of people come and go constantly. It's a constant wave. It has um. It has a high turnover. Yeah. I prefer to use the term revolving door. Yeah. It is a revolving door industry for sure because what is the average career span of a PT? I know what the answer is. I don't know what it is now. Three months. Yeah, I thought it used to be a bit longer, but I'm no, not surprised it's gone down. Three? No, it hasn't gone down. It's always been it's three been months. this for a long time. The average career span for a personal trainer is three months. Mm. I'm now at 12 years, so fuck. Good to be, <laughs> good to be me, not going to lie. But point is, it's a revolving door industry. And I think, not to get into the weeds of it, there's many reasons for that, which we don't need to get into. But Yeah, I'll tell you something. That could be a podcast episode unto itself. Yeah, there are many reasons why. Why is it only three months? Oh, I could sit here and tell you. Yeah, but that's not helping you, Laura, <laughs> with your current situation as to why the turnover rate is high. I will say that to answer your first question, how common is it? Is common because of the turnover rate is high. Unfortunately, when you, especially when you add in the fact that you've mentioned that you're in a small town and, and the options are already limited, it probably increases it even more so. Um, so it is common. Um, it is frustrating, and I can understand why it would be frustrating. In terms of your options, you do have a couple of them. Do you agree, Matt? Of course. Mm. But what options are you referring to? In terms of where to go from here? Yeah. So you've got a couple of options. You can obviously do, Laura, what you've said, which is go and find a different gym or find a different trainer. You know, there might not be a lot of options in your gym, but you do have the option to maybe trial one of the other trainers and see whether you like them or not. That is definitely an option. You definitely, you've mentioned, you know, find a gym, find a different gym. That is an option. It sounds like a bit of a painful option. Not one. Not one I recommend. Not like one I, I would I, recommend. I wouldn't be be jumping gyms because that can just be instability. Given it's a, it's an unstable industry to begin with, and it is as, as I said, revolving door. To me, that just opens the potential to gym hopping, which in itself is instability, which is not something I'd be 
be gone. You also don't want to be reliant. The whole purpose of training is not to be reliant on the person being at that gym necessarily. So Or being next to you. Or being next to you. So so you really want to, if you're comfortable and you're feeling like you've got good momentum at the gym you're at, I definitely would not be changing. Um, there is also the option just to continue on without a trainer at the moment. Continue doing the training sessions you were doing and having accountability that way. Maybe you work out with somebody else that isn't a trainer, maybe a friend, workout buddy. Ugh. Ugh. Matt doesn't like that option. I just personally like, I just think to myself, the best training partner in the world you can rely on is yourself. Yeah. Yep. Can you imagine? Like, to me, it's just like, oh, well, my friend's not coming to the gym, so I can't go today. Fuck that. Well, anyway. we, you know, you can also work with, we're, we're a prime example of that you can actually build relationship and work with trainers that aren't next to you in the gym. Boom. Real answer. So we don't work out with our clients in the gym. Fuck no. But we have rapport and relationship with them. So it is possible to find stability with a trainer who not necessarily is next to you in the gym. Yeah. There's, first thing I'd look at here is when, when you, we've done a couple of episodes, by the way, on how to separate the rank and file PTs from the ones that actually know what the fuck they're doing. Mm. So one was called six ways to know you've got a great PT. The other one is called 10 signs your PT is stealing your money. I think that name was, which is a tremendous title for a podcast episode. I'll mention though, apart from, I can just sit here and go, well, we'll just go listen to those, but that's not the point of doing this. I, if I'm looking for a trainer, one of the first things I'm looking for is how long have they been doing this? Yeah. If they got into this 10 minutes ago, you there's no evidence of longevity. Mm. Now, I understand the only way to get experience is through experience. But it's also something that you need to be looking for. So, like, if, if someone's going through, what, a number, third trainer... Third trainer since March 2021. How long are they? These people are dropping like flies. So how long have they been doing it for? So you look at a trainer and it's like, well, how long have you been doing it for? And where's where's your results? Hmm. Where, where are the before and afters? If this is a brand new trainer who hasn't got any before and afters, then the chances of them dropping out, unfortunately, are high because, as I said, the average PT career lifespan is three months. Yes. So you've got to look for longevity because there's a difference between the people that actually are, honestly, the best way to put this, they're building a business and they're building longevity through an actual career path. Very different to, oh, that seems cool. I get to train people. Oh, this is too fucking hard. I'm out of here. First thing I'm looking for here is longevity. Second thing I'm looking at is, I think, a bit bigger. Options are kind of limited in my small town. We have the entire world at our disposal now because of technology and the internet, I'd recommend thinking bigger. So you said yourself, Courtney, like, do you need to have a trainer there with you? If, if, the, if one of the goals is to learn and be empowered and to have the skills and the tools to not require that, think bigger. It doesn't need to be just in a small town. It can be anywhere in the world, which is my recommendation. Anything you'd add there? Your thoughts, dear? I mean, th- that would be my... 
my first option, definitely. Mm. Um, I think out of the options I listed before, that's obviously would be the best going forward because it would allow you to stay in the same gym. This is just my thoughts. I'm not changing gyms straight up. I'm not changing gyms. You're comfortable in the gym. You know how to use the machines. You've got a routine. Continue it. Mm. So I would be finding a way to stay in the gym either if you really, really wanted to trial a new trainer, you could, but I would definitely be looking at other options, more stable, long-term options to even have somebody train you online. That way they don't have to be there, but you know you're going to have that that stable You've got that. Long-term support. And I think it also then takes you out of being stuck looking for something in a fishbowl versus looking for something in the ocean. Well, correct. Because if, you, if you're if uh, you limited with your options in a small town, well, the internet is far from limited. We have the technology these yes. days. It's like, it's, it's like I've said to people that that we work with, like, with the way the internet works now and the way effective online coaching and online PT can work now, like you can train people from the fucking moon yeah, and make it effective. Like I know for us, like there's people that we work with on the other side of, literally on the other side of the world to us that we've taught in all modesty so well and they've, and they've applied themselves more importantly so well, they can teach this now to other people without us having spent a single second next to them in the gym. That's empowering. Yes. So, yeah, I'd just think bigger. And yes. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't change gyms. Fuck no. If, you, if you're on a, good, on a good wicket, as we say here, where you know, good equipment, good price, convenient location, et cetera, like I'm not changing that, not in a million years. Yep. Next one. Yes. Sharon. What are the most important numbers to look at on a nutritional table for things like sources, etc.? How can you tell if they are going to work with a healthy eating plan? Courtney, you know sources better than anyone. Hit me. Yeah, it's funny. When I'm looking at sources and more condiments and things like that, I actually don't look at the nutritional table first. I look at the ingredients first. So I very rarely will even get to the nutritional table because, to be honest with you, it can be overwhelming and confusing and so tiny. And usually everything that I need to know is in the ingredients list. Mm. So when they list ingredients on – actually, is this is this um, thing that we do with the ingredients list, is that worldwide or is that an Australian thing, Matt? It should be worldwide. It should be worldwide. We will – we might double check that just so we know. But what happens here in Australia, 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 is that on our nutritional labels, what they have to do is they have to uh, write the ingredients on the label in order of how um, much is in the sauce. Yeah, the the the, the, the most prominent ingredients. Ingredients. Are that's the first. way to explain yeah. it. Thank you. So if sugar is listed first, it means that it's the number one ingredient. The number one, the most. <laughs> There is the most amount of sugar <laughs> in that sauce. So I that's why I look at the ingredients list first because I know just from looking at the ingredients list that A, if there's an ingredients list a mile long with ingredients that I can't pronounce, <laughs> yeah. I don't want it. If there's a whole lot of um, codes on there, like it means that they're using artificial flavour 
codes and things like that. Yeah. I don't want it. Um, if the first one, two, three ingredients is something like sugar, um, then I don't want it. Um, I, I can, while you've been explaining that so, so articulately, Courtney, I've gone and looked up uh, two examples I'll read out here for yes, us because I'm, I'm the exact same as Courtney. I don't go off the uh, the nutritional table. I honestly start and end my search of the ingredients list because that tells me what I need to know. Mm. So what I've done is I've looked up two products that you you and I, that Courtney and I have used. Yes. And I'm just going to read out the ingredients list. What All is right? this Ta- style of product? Taco seasoning. Taco seasoning. Got it. So one is, this is uh, the Old El Paso Taco Spice Mix. Seasoning, yes, which I used a lot, yes, back in the day. Here's the ingredients list. Remembering that the ingredients list is put together in order of what's in there the most to what's in there the least. So here we go: sugar, maize flour, salt, garlic, paprika, cumin, tomato, onion, food acid, oregano, chili powder, anti-caking agent. Bracket, silicon dioxide. Color, bracket, paprika extract, ground bay leaves. So number one ingredient, sugar. Number two ingredient, maize flour. Number three ingredient, salt. Then we get to the stuff we actually want in here. Garlic, paprika, cumin, tomato, etc. Yes. I'll now contrast that to the ingredients list of the stuff we use now from a company here in Australia called Mingle. Shout out Mingle if you're listening we're taking sponsors. We're, we're looking after you, and we recommend you to all our clients. So, hey, hit us up. Ingredients list in the Mingle Taco Seasoning. Garlic, onion, paprika, cumin, black pepper, pink Himalayan salt, coriander, parsley, thyme, basil, chili, full stop. Done. Yeah. My comparison's over. That's that's how we look at things. Just remind like us this. of the first three on that Mingle one. First first three on, the, on Mingle, garlic, onion, paprika. First three on Old El Paso, sugar, maize flour, salt. Yeah. So this is where I don't look at the nutritional table because I don't get past the ingredients. Bingo. Yeah, so absolutely. there's no point me learning how, like, how to understand nutritional tables and how to use formulas to figure them out and figure out which ones are best. L- literally, if you just go by the ingredients – and you just pick a sauce or condiments or spice mixes, things like that, that have the best ingredients, then you can't go wrong. I agree. Like I've also got here on these websites, like the nutritional tables are here for both. I don't need to look at them to know which one's better because the ingredients list tells me which one's better and which one's shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I same. So I look at I look at food labels a lot because I have some food intolerances. Well, I do just from a healthy lifestyle perspective but, as well. Correct. But it, that doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't. Everybody should look at food labels and be, it should become a normal thing to do would be to compare when you're going to buy a product is compare the food label of different brands and look at the ingredients. I'll tell you what. We we have an in, in, in soapbox time. Mm. In Western society, we have an obesity epidemic, Right. There are more diets and PTs and programs than ever before, and yet we are fatter and more unhealthy than ever before. And a big part of it, not the only part, but a big contributing factor is that not enough people are prepared to scrutinize what actually goes into their body. Yeah, It's too much, oh, well, 
I mean, the front of the packet says high protein or it's keto approved, so it must be good for me. Nah, mate, the truth's on the back. I think that that goes for the same with with a lot of it words. So a lot of it words like organic and vegan. Yeah. So I mean, the the laws around what they're allowed to promote and what they're allowed to actually put in their food are, are not what you would think they would be. So somebody is allowed to put organic on their food if just a percentage of that food ingredients are organic. Yeah. So it doesn't actually have to all be organic. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with a lot of these buzzwords that they put on advertising. So that's why it's, it's so crucial to check the ingredients list and to really make sure you're doing your research and and looking at and comparing those different um, – and people think, oh, well, it's just a source. What will it matter? It's just in anything until it adds up. It matters a lot because, you know, it's 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 usually coating your entire food. And, like, if you take something like a uh, the example Matt just gave on those two taco seasonings, why would you want the one that literally the, the main ingredient is sugar when you could have the one that has no sugar in well, you, it? You also, Courtney, mentioned that, you know, you think to yourself, oh, well, it's just this one thing. Is it really just that one thing? Mm. Like, to me, if someone's got that attitude of, oh, well, it's just the fucking taco seasoning, I guarantee you that's not where it stops. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm talking about, where there's not enough willingness to scrutinize what goes into our body. Yeah. And so, so I, yes, as you get more advanced, there can be benefit at, you know, eventually learning how to read the nutrition labels, but... For the most part, and for the average person, like you can start and finish at the ingredients list and make the right choice before you go anywhere else. Personally, the only time I really focus on the nutritional label now is when it comes to meat. Yes. So when it comes to meat, just before we move on from this topic, I know Sharon, uh, Sharon didn't mention meat, but we'll just it, put this in. Is it news that you and I digress on our podcast? No. I just want to put this in that the only time I will be absolutely checking a nutritional label is when it comes to meat. Mm. So obviously when it comes to things like whole cuts of meat, they're just as they are. However, when it comes to something like mincemeat or hamburgers, hamburgers that, sausages. Are, that are pre-made, sausages, things like that that are pre-made, mm. They will have a nutritional label on them because they've obviously made it. Like they've maybe added something to it, or there is a difference in a in a fat content. There's a process involved. There's a processing of the meat involved. So even when it comes to mince meat, they haven't necessarily added ingredients, but there's a processing of that meat. So the reason we'll always check the nutritional table with that is only one line, which is the fat content, and the fat content per 100 grams. So I scroll down and check where it says fat and then I'll go across and usually there's a column that shows you the fat content per 100 grams and that number should be below 10 ideally. So ideally the fat content per 100 grams should be 10 or below. When... I'll, I'll add to this and just keep it as simple as I can. When you when you st- do start to eventually, when the need calls for it, to look at the actual nutritional labels, the best way to do a head-to-head is on the per 100 gram statistic, not the per serve. No. Because per 100 gram makes it a universal across the board, literally apples to apples 
comparison. Comparison, yep. Yeah, because serving one. sizes are all different. They're, oh, they're all over the shop. Yeah. But per 100 grams of material, that's a universal metric you can go by. Yeah, that's a really good point. But obviously that's just for processed meats. Mm. When we're buying whole meat, um, steaks, um, roasts, chicken, breasts, things like that, we don't check any of that. Cool. Next one? Yes. All right. Now, I'm hoping I pronounce this name correctly. I'm hoping it is Vasilius, if it isn't blame Courtney. Your podcast has been so important on my journey. I've been listening to it for the last five months. Bracket, almost at the same time I got a PT. Everything seems to work but one thing. I work as a pastry chef. Basically, my question is about the rule of proximity. Do you have any suggestions on how to avoid the nibbling while at work? I must admit, the meal prepping and frequent eating has helped me a lot, but I will eat about five bites of sweet things daily. Should I just look for another career? Either way, thank you for your podcast and for being unwittingly part of my support system. Great email. Right. I'll start by saying the only reason you would look for another career is if you literally do not like the one you have. I was just thinking Other than that, there is no effing way I'd recommend changing your career. If you like what you do for a living, you don't work. You have a paid hobby. I was literally about to say the same thing. The only reason I would change is if you did not like your job. If someone in our line of work were to say, actually, you probably should look for another career, like honestly – Take us out the back and shoot us. No, don't do that. Do not only change careers if you don't like your career. Yes. And it makes you unhappy. Outside of that, let's answer this question. Yeah. So obviously this is a situation where it is a job where the rule of proximity is impacted. So it's not just as easy as saying, well, just don't buy the treats. Just don't be around them and you won't eat them. Pastry galore. Yes. They are there and I can only imagine how hard it is to not try what you're making. Like that's what chefs do. They try the things that they make. Especially if you like the things that you make. Correct. Mm. So I can imagine how hard that would be. I can also imagine that you've been doing it for so long that it's habitual. Guaranteed. That it's just a habitual habit that you would try different little things, have a bite of sweet things that you're making during the day. Um. I'm just trying to think of my best tip for this one. Um, change careers? Definitely wouldn't be change careers. <laughs> definitely wouldn't be. I'm glad one of them would be to make sure that you're eating an, often enough to make sure that you're feeling full. And I'm glad that, that you put that in there, that you are feeling full and the meal prepping is ha- is helping. Um I'm just trying to think of one really good tip that I can give. Do you have one? I've got two. Oh, good. Uh, well, while you're thinking, I will tag in and, and do my best. So first thing here is, well, if I'm having five bites of sweet things daily, can you have something else in, in nearby to replace it with? Just some sort of better option. Like a bite size option? Uh-huh. So yep. it's not like a full meal. No. 
but it's something easy accessible. So That's this is a good this idea. is this is this is what you call snacking, right? Mm. Now, a, a reductive answer is to say, "Oh, we'll just stop snacking," which is just not helpful. Fucking stupid because that actually takes time and work and whatnot. But what you can do is at least start by upgrading what you are nibbling on. So yes, I mean we can't remove the pastry because that's part of the job. Okay, cool. Can there be something else within reach that could be a substitute that's a little bit more aligned towards your goals? That can be an upgrade from what you're currently doing. That's the first thing I'd look at. Now, to look at a, a little bit bigger picture, the question I would also then ask, even before, well, like I said before, is this your worst habit? Yeah. Is, this, is this the worst thing you do mm. each week? If it is then you may look to implement that strategy I just mentioned. If it isn't, maybe you go and address other things that are probably, dare I say, easier to work on right now and see where it gets you. Because what if you have habits that are worse than this and you improve them and you start to change despite the fact you are having five bites of sweet things daily? That's what I call having your cake and eating it too. That's true. So... Question number one, honestly, is this your worst habit? If it is and you feel like this is actually holding you back, then yes, that's how you start to address it. Upgrade the quality of what you're nibbling on just and just gradually work to replace yes. this. Don't cut, replace. Yes. Those are my two tips. What do you got? I like I like the I like those two tips. I really like the replacement tip. It's a really good one because obviously the feeling the meal prep is helping. And it's having an impact on the amount of snacking happening at work. Mm. I think then it's just those those little moments where you feel like something, and and try to make it something on the sweeter side. So whether it be fruit or something that's going to give you that sweeter hit. We got we got recipes that we give to our clients for things like healthy strawberry cupcakes. Yeah, for example. Yeah. So you can you can make you can make a bit more nutritious. Treats or, I mean, I'm not a fan of the word snacks, but it's appropriate no. in this yes. occasion. Yes. You can, you, can, you can create things that are a bit decadent in some ways because like pastry is usually a decadent sort of thing. Yes. You can, you can create some, some decadent, more nutritious snacks slash healthy things to nibble on to just replace. Yeah. I'd, I'd just start there. I, I, would, I wouldn't cut. <clears throat> I think that's the best option. All right. Uh, next one? Yes. Rebecca, oh, this will be a very quick answer. After your initial weight loss, have you guys ever tried to intentionally gain weight or bulk? If so, did you have to come any mental hurdles? I'll start. No fucking way. I can just look at a hamburger and gain weight. Courtney, go. I'm the same. I'm the same. I, I've had this chat, this talk with, with multiple friends um, who may be the opposite. So they have to increase their calorie intake. Uh, the, 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 fr- the phrase for people like that, they're called hard gainers. Yes. I am not a hard gainer. No. I'm an easy gainer. No. I can put on muscle by looking at a fucking barbell and I can put on flab looking at a slice of pizza. Yes. So I, I've had this I've had this chat with a colleague who works also in the sort of medical fitness industry and he is a bit the opposite. So he's tried very hard to gain size and he has to eat X amount of calories to make sure he can – Gain size. Do I know this person? Yes, and and we were having that conversation because he he was asking um, me 
we're having this conversation back and forth and I said to him, I'm the complete opposite. I'm the complete opposite. I would literally look at the sort of stuff that he eats and it's gone straight to my hips. You can you can Courtney Courtney and I are the sort of people where we can look at a block of chocolate and it feels like we're we're a bit our closure a bit tight. Yeah, it doesn't take much for us at all. <laughs> so there would be definitely no on our side intentional weight gaining. Definitely not. Um, or bulking. No, fuck no. Are there people out there that do have to do that? Absolutely. I've worked with people like that. But I've had I've had clients like that. That ain't you and me. No. And also like if Anyone that's ever met me will know, like, I don't need to get any physically larger. No. No. <laughs> no, we're good. No. I, I, I will not be bulking. No. No. Yep. So I can't really speak for any mental hurdles that you would have to overcome. I, I can speak to them from the fact I've worked with people that have gone through this. I can't speak from a personal experience because I have no idea what this is like. No. Uh, so what I can say from from a coaching experience is that absolutely there are mental hurdles with this because it will often involve like strategically eating more food than you are used to, mm. which can be which can be tough. Yes, you know it can also involve strategic exercising. Like people I've worked with in the past, where they've wanted to their program or their goals have called for putting on body mass in a healthy way. Because that's the thing, like even the phrase bulk, like most average schmoes at the gym, bulk means, oh, cool, I've gone to the gym, now I'm going through the drive through at Macca's because mm. I'm bulking, bro. Like bulking doesn't have to mean you're putting on fucking flab deluxe. There's a healthy way to do it. But there are indeed mental hurdles because also your training is, is different. Yes. A person that wants to put on size, be it a healthy sort of body mass, muscle mass, et cetera, their training requirements – and even their nutritional requirements will look different to someone who wants to cut down. Yes. So, yes, there are hurdles. Honestly, the way I look at it is, it's the two sides of the same coin. Mm. So that's about it. Next one? Yes. Next one is also going to be a pretty easy answer. Uh, Kari asks, I am a calorie counter and a daily exerciser. What is the main focus for you? Do you focus on habits or calories? Courtney, please tell us about how you focus on calories. I don't focus on calories at all. What? <laughs> Absolutely not. You, I just find it's too much mental. Gymnastics. Yeah, too much. Like, there's so much going on in my head day to day. Trying to figure out my calorie intake would just be another step too far for me. Um, definitely focus on habits. Most of what we do every day is all habitual and that comes down to food as well. Mm. So we like to focus on calorie awareness. So there is still an awareness of what we're eating. There has to be. There has to be an awareness of the calories that we're taking in and there and the calories in food, but we don't have to sit there with our calculator or our app figuring out exactly how much calories are in something before we eat it. Um it's being calorie aware. It's being aware of what we're eating every day. It's being aware of ingredients in our foods. It's being aware of how we feel after we eat those certain foods. How they sit, energy levels, bloating, feeling leaner. Yes. Yep. And it's all about habits. So it's all about um, making sure that we've, we're putting in habits that are going to help us achieve our goals. So whatever goals that might be. So habits are around everything from sleep to exercise to food, 
Um, and when it comes to food, it's not only um, consumption of food, it's also shopping, preparing, storing food, everything. Weight loss ultimately is about behavioural reprogramming mm. because what is it that gets us overweight and unhealthy? Our behaviour sucks, for lack of a better word. It's you know poor habits, poor choices, poor mindsets, poor beliefs, whatnot. Turning that around, honestly, as, as I've gone through myself and I'm rather proud to be able to say this, like I've never counted calories. Yeah. Do I know how to if I had to do it? Yes, but I've never had the need to. And I really am appreciative of that because that is mental space and energy. I can f- reallocate anywhere else in my life that's more productive. Yes. So with with weight loss being behavioral reprogramming, behavioral reprogramming is all based on habits and not at all based on calories. So with the question of do you focus on habits or calories, 100%. Oh, 100%. <laughs> we focus on habits and any any client we've ever worked with will testify to this when I say this, we've never asked them to count calories. They've no. never fucking had to. No. Can you lose weight counting calories? Yes. Can you lose weight not counting calories? Yes. So we'll take the one that requires the less mental gymnastics. It's all about the habits. Because you can see people that live and die by the calorie counting sword and their habits fucking suck. Yes. So, yeah, done. Done. I reckon we're going to bring this one to a close. We've got a few more questions here, Courtney. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon we save this for – let's do a two-parter. Okay. Yeah? Sounds like a plan to me. So I have good news and I have bad news. No, nah, I've just got bad news. We're back next week. Sorry. <laughs> you can have to listen to us again. You can't, you can't get rid of us just yet. We're just, um, we're just that bad smell that just won't go away. Lingers on. We're lingering. So we're going to be lingering back in your ears next week. Well, we hope that uh, you got a lot out of this. So whether we answered your particular question or whether you just found these questions helpful to listen to. I would say we got great questions and we gave great answers, but that might be a lie. So I'll say we got great questions and we gave answers. We gave answers and we hope it was helpful. So that is a wrap of uh, question and answer part one. Part two is coming. Part two will be coming, so we will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 